They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've met hundreds of wrestlers. They own thousands of DVDs and have watched millions of hours of wrestling. They are Prime Time Paz and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am Chad, and as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And tonight, John, what can we say about our guest? He is the WWE's own, the, de- the devil's favorite demon, Kane. It was great to be able to talk to the legend himself, Glenn Kane. Jacobs, as you said, the devil's favorite demon. He's the big red machine. He's the devil's favorite demon. And as I addressed him, quite possibly the most decorated superstar in the history of the WWE, Kane covers Glenn. I'm sorry, Glenn Kane Jacobs covers it all, dating back to how he got into the business, how he was a fan growing up, his days in Smoky Mountain, his time getting into the WWF, and everything that came after that, it was out of this world. This was such a great interview, such an honor to be able to uh, to get Kane on. I mean, you think about it, you know, from the start of his career, Smoky Mountain, which we get into, which is great, then, you know, the WWF, The Undertaker, and all, all stuff in between. It's just what a great, long, dare I say, legendary career for the big man. There's so much to talk about with him, and I... I definitely said it a few times that we could have kept him there all night to keep going on and on, but he hits all of the big aspects of his career. The fact that he's been a part of the last 18 consecutive WrestleManias, including this one coming up where he will be a part of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. We wish him the best of luck in that, but again, he talks about all of the major moments, beating Austin for the title, Hell in a Cell, wrestling in Smoky Mountain, traveling the roads, breaking in with Dutch Mantel, and training in the Malenko School of Wrestling. Just there's so much that I could say, but I'm just going to urge you to listen very intently. Please check us out on our website, which is tmptofwrestling.com. Again, it's tmptofwrestling.com. We will have the full transcript there of the interview if you would like to, to read it in long form. It is absolutely unreal. That's enough about me, John. What can we say about Kane that I haven't said? What can you say? This is a great, great interview. You're definitely going to want to listen to this. This is basically the journey of a legendary career from the start all the way till now, of the devil's favorite demon, the big red monster, Glenn Kane J. 
Jake. Glenn Kelly, real estate tycoon and real estate promoter extraordinaire, teams with WWE legends for the charity event of a lifetime. On Saturday, June 13th, join Glenn Kelly, glennkelly.com, and B98.5 at the Aztec Oceanfront Resort in Seaside Heights from noon to 4. This is your chance to meet WWE legends like Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Mick Foley, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and many more. All proceeds for this will go to Eternal Tranquility. For all event info and to sponsor your company, visit glennkelly.com. That's G-L-E-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com. For nearly 18 years, our guest tonight has been a constant on WWE TV. He has been nicknamed the Big Red Machine and the Devil's Favorite Demon. But purely, he has been an ever-evolving monster, and in my opinion, he should be regarded as one of the most decorated superstars in the history of the WWE. It is our absolute honor and privilege to spend some time tonight speaking with the true icon of the pro wrestling industry. And with that being said, and at this time, I quite humbly welcome in Glenn Kane Jacobs. Glenn, thank you for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for that very gracious introduction. I appreciate that. Oh, my absolute pleasure, and especially having you on at this time of the year is quite, uh, it's quite vital, in my opinion, because when you talk about WrestleMania and you talk about pretty much the last 18 WrestleManias, Kane has been involved in every one of them in some facet. What are some of your memories of those 18 WrestleManias? Oh, gosh. Uh, one of my most memorable events ever was my first WrestleMania, WrestleMania 14 at Boston uh, against The Undertaker. So that's that was a huge high point in my career, uh, one of the absolute highlights of my career. And um, there's just been so many. Uh, you know, also uh, the next year I wrestled Triple H. And uh, when uh, DX was, was breaking up and uh, that led to uh, – Xbox and I becoming partners, and that uh, was a really great time. Uh, then after that, uh, Pete Rose made another appearance, and uh, <laughs> as he as he so often seemed to do at WrestleMania, um, and uh, that that one was in Anaheim, and uh, a tag team match with Keisha and I uh, against uh, Xbox, and uh, I forget his partner actually. It's terrible of me, but in any case, uh, <laughs> you know, there's just there's just just so much stuff. A uh, match with Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. Uh, the, another match with The Undertaker. So there's been a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that it's it, when you look at the opponents that you had and the tag team partners that you had, and even the multiple man matches that you had. I mean, it's a who's who of the wrestling industry over the last 20, 25 years, um, which is indicative of the spot that you've had in the company because you've always been involved in some of the greatest storylines and some of the greatest angles. But match-wise, and you kind of said this already, and Pete Rose had a little bit to do with it, but what would be, I guess I'm not going to speculate, but what would be your favorite WrestleMania match right out of the gate? Well, for me personally, it was that one. It was WrestleMania 14 against Undertaker. Um, I believe that this story with Undertaker and Kane was the best bit of epic storytelling WWE's ever done. It really was something out of Greek mythology. And, uh, of course, that was the culmination of that whole story. And for that reason, it made it very special. As for 
my favorite match as a fan, I would have to say that was Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, the, the first encounter. Uh, if I were to tell anyone, that would be the match that I would point them to because, in my opinion, it was the greatest match in history. It was just incredible what those two guys did that night, two absolute icons in our industry, and they just had a spectacular performance. But, yeah, for me personally, it was my first WrestleMania match. Yeah, without a doubt, with that Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match, it's become the Ricky Steamboat-Randy Savage of this generation with everybody referencing that over the last couple of years. But kind of also sticking with The Undertaker in WrestleMania, you also faced The Undertaker at WrestleMania 20, which was a completely different role for you because whereas you went from the original storyline out of the gate when you came in, which we will definitely uh, ask you about that in, in a little bit, but um, to WrestleMania 20 where you were now more of an animated character and that you were cutting these intense promos on The Undertaker leading into WrestleMania and then being the 20th anniversary. What are your memories of that match? That one was special because Undertaker had just come back after hiatus, and that was the first time that he'd really been seen. And as you say, it was completely different. I mean, the first WrestleMania match was of two supernatural figures duking it out, essentially, and leaving a path of uh, waste wherever they went. Whereas WrestleMania 20 was a little more conventional in that you had just a bad guy versus a very popular good guy. So in, in that respect, uh, they, they were different, and the build was different, and my character was certainly different. So uh, it I would still, if you're going to ask me which one is my favorite, <laughs> it would still have to be WrestleMania 14 over WrestleMania Very 20, nice. despite the fact that it was WrestleMania 20 and Madison Square Garden and all that stuff. Uh, I still uh, am very sentimental and fond of the first encounter. Now, transitioning from the biggest stage of them all back to the beginning, were you a wrestling fan growing up? Yes, I was. I grew up in rural Missouri, about two hours north of St. Louis. And if the wind was blowing right on a Saturday night, I could catch All-Star Wrestling out of Kansas City, which is run by Bob Geigel. Some of the stars there were Bulldog Bob Brown, Ray Candy, Bruiser Bob Sweet Ten, guys like this. Uh, Harley Race was based there, but Harley was often was world champion, so he didn't wrestle that much there. Once a month, though, we would go down to my grandmother's house in St. Louis. And at the time, wrestling at the chase was one of the most popular promotions and shows in the country. So once a month I get to see that, and I get to see all the stars that came through there, like Harley Race, like Ric Flair, like Devon Eriks. Uh, Darren Von Rasky always stands out in my mind because he was uh, such a great uh, villain. Uh, but that, that was like a highlight of my month. I'd go get to see the, the big wrestling show. So I always was a fan. Uh, unfortunately, um, this was before the advent of cable TV, so as I said, that was if the winners won, right, I get to watch it. But uh sort of fell out for a while through high school because I was doing athletics of my own and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I got back into it at the end of my high school and in college, and I remember we were, that was at the height of Hulkamania, this would have been in the late 80s. And I remember going downstairs and uh, to the lounge in my dorm, and one of the guys was watching uh, Savage and, and Steamboat, and I thought it was really awesome. And of course, uh, 
Hogan was just on top of the world. I mean, he was biggest one of the biggest things in entertainment, and, and he had the whole crossover going on with MTV. So WWF at the time was extremely hot. And uh, I, I was always a fan after that. And I'll never forget my first live event that I went to was at the old Checker Dome in St. Louis. And uh, when Hulk Hogan came out, I mean, 10,000 people just lost their minds. And I thought to myself, man, that would be really cool to do that and, and have that sort of impact on folks, you know, be on the receiving end of all those cheers and all that excitement. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I always was a fan, um, you know, at various times, more so than others. But I always thought that it was great athletics and great drama combined into one, and, and I'm a fan of both of those, of course. Now, from going from being a fan to actually going into the business, how did you break into the wrestling business? Well, I was playing college football, and I hurt my knee very badly my senior year. And uh, I didn't want to get a real job, okay? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy, I'm pretty athletic. Um, so I'm a fan of the wrestling stuff. Uh, again, you know, because it was, it was pretty hot at the time. I was like, I'm going to go try that. And uh, I was still trying to play football uh, at the time. The defunct World League was still around. But uh, my football future looked very dim. Uh, and I got involved in just a, a local group and learned some probably not really great stuff, but uh, probably actually uh, things that would happen down the road as far as how the business actually works and, and that sort of stuff. But nevertheless, that's how I got my start. And from there, it's, it's just it's networking just like everything else. I mean, uh, I met Dutch Mantel, uh, Uncle Zeb, Zeb Coulter now, um, at an independent show in southern Illinois, and he got my name and number, and uh, he helped me out with some stuff. I ended up going to the Malenko's Wrestling Academy, uh, which was run by Dean but Malenko, Dean wasn't there a whole lot, though, because he spent a lot of time in Japan. But I had the great fortune of meeting uh, Larry Simon, the great Malenko. And I, I actually lived with him for about six months, uh, stayed in his house. And uh, you know, that helped me out tremendously. I would go back and forth to Japan. I worked for uh, Fujiwara Gumi, uh, which was a shoot fighting organization. And uh, from there, uh, Dutch calls one day and said that he'd like to bring me down to Puerto Rico. So that was my first full-time job was, I guess it was like 1994. Spent about nine months in Puerto Rico working for Carlos Colon. And then after that, Dutch got me in with Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And at the time, Jim Ross was doing commentary for Cornette. Uh, JR was still somewhat with WWE, but he was on hiatus. And uh, he was getting ready to come back as uh, head of talent relations, but he wasn't there yet. And uh, he was the guy that got me a tryout with WWE, and the rest is history. Yeah, it's definitely history, but we got to stop in Smoky Mountain uh, very quickly if we can. And you had a very successful run uh, teaming with Al Snow against the Rock and Roll Express, which pretty much was the main feud in Smoky Mountain Wrestling for nearly a year. What are some of your memories of working with the Rock and Roll Express at that time when you were coming up in the business? Just how much I learned from those guys, uh, you know, especially Ricky Morton, as far as being one of the greatest baby faces of all time. Ricky Morton, 
is, and he really taught me a lot. Uh, and, and all those guys, because they've been around so long, you know, Tracy Smothers, Tony Anthony, um, Al, so all of them have been around so much that they helped me learn the inside-the-ring performance aspect of the business, which is not something you can learn by going to a wrestling school. It, it, that's something you have to actually learn by being out there in front of people. Uh, you know, you can learn the moves. You can you can learn the psychology. It's not until you're actually out there that it clicks because you're getting that feedback of what you're doing is either right or wrong. And that's the biggest memory that I'll have. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun because I was home every night. So the travel wasn't certainly like it is now. Uh, some of the towns that we went to, I call, I call them, uh, <laughs> yeah, I call them FBI witness protection towns because like if they wanted to hide someone in the witness protection program, you could go there and no one's ever going to find you, you know, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Smoky Mountain was, in many respects, the last of the old territories, uh, even though it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that, but it was still that model. So it, it was just a lot of fun being there. And uh, just, you know, speaking about feedback and somebody who kind of was along that journey with you as you transitioned into the WWE was Jim Cornette, who was the, obviously the, the booker and the owner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. How was it working for Jim Cornette at that time? Jim wasn't spending a whole lot of time with us. Uh, he was up in WWF with the Heavenly Bodies, so it was sort of hit or miss. Um, you know, uh, Jim has a great mind for the business, and I think his absence hurt Smoky Mountain Wrestling, um, you know, because he just wasn't there doing it every day because he had, at that point, had other fish to fry. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, when you talk about a guy who understands, uh, especially that particular area and that particular crowd, you know, sort of the Southern wrestling, Jim gets it, uh, you know, and uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling was a great example. I mean, the motto was like wrestling, how it, I think how it ought to be and how you like it. Um, right. And Jim certainly understood that. So, uh, you know, and he, very creative guy as well. So, you know, uh, again, it was, it was a lot of fun working there, a lot of fun working for him. And uh, much to his chagrin, but maybe not in August 95, uh, he got uh, through the WWF and the association the two had together at the time. The Undertaker came down with Paul Bearer to Smoky Mountain and wrestled you, I believe, at two shows. But the one that I think everybody's gotten a chance to see, because I believe the WWE uh, Classics on Demand service actually ran it at the time. It was the Super Bowl of Wrestling at the Civic Coliseum in Knoxville, where there are stories that float around that, the Undertaker and Paul Bearer came back from that that trip, and they said, we need Glenn Jacobs to get on our roster. What are your memories of getting in the ring? And we already talked about WrestleMania, but the first time being in the ring with The Undertaker at that point. Yeah, up until that point, that had been the largest crowd that I've probably been in front of and, and the most into a crowd because of The Undertaker, right? Um, I remember he'd come down earlier that year uh, to either – can remember if it's Paintsville or Pikeville, Kentucky, and um, and had been at a show there. And of course, it was great to see the vignettes that uh, that Jim had put together for that. Uh, but yeah, I'll never forget standing in the ring with him, and it, I was like, "Wow, this is like the real deal," you know. <laughs> and uh, 
the thing about it is Taker's always been a big advocate of mine. I don't know how much that particular match played into that, um, but he's been extraordinarily helpful in my career. I mean, if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't be where I am, same with Paul Bear. So I don't really remember that much about the match. I just remember um, it's really strange with Undertaker, especially at that time, because, like, when you got in the ring with him, it was the Undertaker, man. You know, it wasn't like a human being. I mean, I remember standing there, standing there, and we're doing a stare down, and I'm actually flinching because I'm like, oh, this is this could be really bad for me. So, <laughs> you know, and I think that legitimacy that he carried, um, you know, despite the fact that he had a really fantastical character and gimmick, the legitimacy with which he portrayed it is what made it work, and that went all to all the way to the guys that were working against him. In my case, of course, uh, didn't know him that well, um, but nevertheless, and I, I was young, but nevertheless, I mean, that probably made the match better because my reactions were not contrived. They were the real deal. So that's probably the thing I remember most about that match. And if anybody can go out of their way to find that match on the WWE Network, please take note of how it looks like it's about 300 degrees that night in August 1995. And uh, forgive me if I'm incorrect, but I think even uh, the late great Hall of Famer, uh, Paul Barra, Percy Pringle, had said the same thing, that when he came out that it was ungodly hot that night. Yeah, the crowd was hot, too. Uh, that, that was a great show. Uh, it really was. Uh, I'll never forget Shawn Michaels was there. Uh, Brad Armstrong won the Smoky Mountain Championship. So it, it was a great show all the way around. Now, going back into your days with the WWF, you highly anticipated debut in October 97 in St. Louis at the Bad Blood pay-per-view. Can you talk a little bit about your debut as Kane? Yeah, you know, as I said earlier, I think that the storyline between Undertaker and Kane was the best bit of epic storytelling ever told. And what I mean by that is you, know, you have this sweeping story that, that goes back and he's almost two mythological characters you know, supernatural characters that are just slugging it out and destroying everything in their path. And um, when I was originally told about the uh, the Kane character, I was elated, of course, uh, because I was going to have the chance to work with The Undertaker. Um, one of the things that was executed very, very well about this particular story was the fact that Paul Bear brings up Kane and you plant that seed and, and it's a big deal for a while, but then it sort of goes away and you get lost in the undertaker, Shawn Michaels story. And then wham, there's Kane at uh, the, uh, at the pay-per-view. And I think that just tremendously helped um, everything. And of course it, it, it was one of the greatest debuts in history, not that I had anything to do with it, but just because the story was so good and executed so well. I mean, you know, as soon as I come out, people had forgotten about it. Well, you know, what's this Kane character? Well, you forgot about it. And then all of a sudden, oh God, there it is. You know, um, there was a lot of pressure on me. I'm not going to lie about that because, uh, you know, this was a make or break deal for me. Uh, and I'm in there in, at the time, of course, we didn't know what hell Nacelle would go into, but would grow into. But nevertheless, I'm in there against 
two Hall of Famers, and one guy's in the Hall of Fame, one guy's going to go in the Hall of Fame, two of the greatest names in the history of our business, and I'm the guy getting the spotlight, you know, for that night. Because at the end of the night, the match is going to be awesome, but as is so often the case in our business, it's going to be the finish of the match that everybody remembers. So, uh, yeah, I had some pressure on me that night because I wanted to make sure that I didn't mess it up and, and of course, to live up to all those expectations and not to let guys like Undertaker and Sean down because uh, they were investing their trust in me. What was it like being paired up with Paul Bearer right off the bat? It was great. <laughs> uh, Paul was... Paul was great to travel with because uh, he never let me take myself too seriously, uh, you know, and uh, he, he would let me know pretty quickly if, if I was, uh, but he helped me out a lot. He was another guy who helped me, you know, learn about the business, not necessarily the stuff that goes on in the ring, but everything else. Uh, Paul would do our travel arrangements, which he didn't have to do, but he would do that because he didn't want me to have to worry about it. Um, He's, he was a great manager. Um, you know, I, I think he's probably actually underrated because of the Paul Bear gimmick. Uh, you know, people don't realize how, how just good he was uh, at what he did, you know, because uh, there is an art to being a manager. Um, he loved the business. I mean, more so than almost anybody else I know. Uh, he loved the camaraderie. Uh, he was one of those guys that even after he left here, you know, he would still stay in touch with everybody and knew everything that was going on. And that's one of the things that he really liked about the, uh, about our business with the camaraderie. So, uh, those were, those were some golden years. I, it, it was funny when, uh, Scotty Tuhati first came in, uh, he was too young to rent a car and he'd been <laughs> friends with Paul for years. So a lot of times it would be Kane and Paul Bearer in the front seat and Scotty Tuhati hanging out in the back seat, you know, driving all across America. <laughs> so, yeah, those were, those were really some good times. That's a great crew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, quite, quite a unique pairing there. Yeah, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Now, <laughs> now going to another feud, maybe almost a forgotten feud of yours, with a guy who I consider to be a Hall of Famer, but maybe he might not get in there, but uh, – Big Van Vader. Can you talk a little bit about your feud with Vader and working with the big man? Yeah. Uh, at that particular uh, point, you know, um, Vader was sort of his, his star was diminishing in WWE. So uh, that was to establish Kane uh, more so uh, for my feud of Undertaker. Nevertheless, uh, Leon White, Big Van Vader, he's one of the greatest big men ever. I mean, you know, the guy could do – absolutely anything uh you're talking about a 350 400 pound man who could do moonsaults off the top rope and uh you know the the one thing that i miss about that chicken feud or the, that i regret is that i never had the opportunity to work with him when he was in his prime because as i said you know you got maybe the most agile big guy that the, our sport's ever seen. Uh, you know, when I want to mean big guy, I, I don't mean, you know, tall. I mean, just a very immense human being. <laughs> um, and uh, and we, had, we had some good matches, too. Uh, you know, so, uh, it, it, again, I mean, my hat's off to, to Vader. 
um, because he went out and, and even though he was, you know, he was starting to get a little older, he still went out every night and gave me the best that he had, and I appreciate that. Yeah, because right after that, it was the Undertaker feud, and then a few months down the road from that was the epic and very well-remembered first blood match, King of the Ring 1998. Everybody talks about Mick Foley getting thrown off Hell in the Cell, which, how can you not? It was an unbelievable sight, and what a moment. But later on in the night, quite possibly the biggest shock of the Attitude Era came when Kane beat the hottest character in wrestling in years, Stone Cold Steve Austin in a first blood match. What are your memories of the, your first title win uh, against Steve Austin? <laughs> I just remember... Uh... <laughs> so I tell a Paul, story, Paul Bear story here, uh, because I remember getting to the hotel and, and taking the championship belt out of my bag and going, wow. This is it, you know. It doesn't get any better than this. Uh, and the next day, I remember saying something to Paul about him. I'm, I'm a little tired today. He's like, "Yeah, you've been carrying the company on your back." I was like, "For one day." <laughs> <laughs> but, and, but that was Paul Bear too. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, the the mankind Mick Foley uh, Hell in a Cell match against the Undertaker that that really changed everything, of course, as far as the the level of performance. Uh, and uh, things that folks would do um, that sort of changed everything. Uh, and that is what everybody remembers, and that's what I remember too. You know, um, I remember being backstage and watching it, and, and Mick, of course, was involved in uh, the match between Austin and I, and a few people thought that he was going to be back out there. And uh, so, you know, we're scrambling, trying to figure out what's going to happen, uh, you know. And uh, the, the thing that I will, on my part, was actually the next night in Cleveland. Because people are like, ah, you know, you're only champion for a day, big deal. Well, first of all, not that many people get to be WWE champion at all. So I'm in pretty elite company. But also, the next night on, on Raw was the most electric night that I ever remember in my entire career. You know, we're in Cleveland, come out, the place is packed, and and we do the opening promo where Austin challenges me and, like an idiot, Kane accepts, and there was just so much buzz that night. I don't, I've never been involved in anything quite that hot since then, and of course, it also drew the highest rating that WWE had until that point, and I think that it might be might have been one of those deals that, you know, really the momentum from that uh, sort of helped propel us to a to an even higher level. Um, and the fact that again, you know, as you said, uh, I beat the hottest superstar in the world, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Granted, had a little help from the Undertaker, but nevertheless, uh, I'm the <laughs> that's all right. Title. <laughs> you know. Um, that was just it was just a phenomenal feeling, and then of course, you know Austin wasn't as hot as he would be, so looking back on it, it it's even greater, you know, because I mean frankly, Steve Austin is in the pantheon of you know it's what you know Hogan, Austin, and Rock are probably the three biggest draws ever right um and you know to to have done that at that time against that guy was really something special. 
without a doubt. You can, it's an absolutely another another stunning moment. Please go and check that match out on the WWE Network. It is an absolute classic. The crowd reaction is uh, it's almost on another planet. Uh, to see the reaction to the end of that match. But we're going to skip forward a little bit uh, just for the sake of the, if we covered your whole entire career, we could be here for another month. But we're going to move forward slightly, and that's to the unmasking in 2003. Uh, could you just, can you talk about um, how you were approached with it, and did you feel it was time for the mask to come off? Yeah, it was actually my idea because I did feel that I'd reached a point where the mask was restricting what I could do. Um, you know, people ask me what the advantages are of wearing a mask. And the first one, of course, is the mystery. People don't know exactly what Kane is thinking. And it also made me a much better performer in that really what our business is all about is eliciting emotion out of the audience. I mean, you want them to empathize with what you're doing. If you're the bad guy, you want them to hate you. If you're the good guy, you want them to have sympathy for you. And it's, I guess it, it's, could be thought of as a form of communication in, in that respect. And uh, because I didn't have my face, which is how we normally show emotion, I didn't have my face to show. I had to rely a lot more on body language. And I think that that really helped me because I had to concentrate on that. And I had to think of different ways to be able to portray that emotion without using my face. But then I thought that it became a hindrance because, you know, the, uh, at a certain point, the novelty has gone. You know, and at a certain point, it's time for all of us to move on. I, I think that the most successful characters and the most successful people, excuse me, in WWE are those that have been able to reinvent themselves. And we've seen that. Like Undertaker has always been able to reinvent himself and either tweak his character or sometimes change it entirely. Same with Shawn Michaels. I mean, the Shawn Michaels that we see today or saw right before he retired uh, was not the Shawn Michaels of 1995. Uh, Triple H is that way. John Cena is that way. So uh, it's just the nature of our of our business that eventually the novelty is going to wear off. The only people that were behind that decision probably were the two people that counted, though. It was me and Vince. Everyone else was of the opinion, well, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But I think Vince had enough confidence, well, I guess, since we did it, I know he had enough confidence in me as a performer that I could pull it off. And I knew that I could pull it off as well. Uh, not to say there wasn't some trepidation, because it is true that uh, if you have something successful, you may not want to mess with it. But I also didn't figure, I mean, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't that huge a deal because, you know, you could always put the mask back on, which we would eventually do. And uh, I think, think, thought that people would accept it again. But at the time, it was it was a, a pretty big risk. But what it did is it actually gave me an entirely new career, an entirely new character uh, from unmasked Kane, which is completely different than masked Kane. Uh, so, you know, that added many years on my career. And again, it allowed me to do things that I hadn't been able to do before, uh, which always makes our job a lot more fun. Because if you if you just keep on doing it performance-wise, if you just keep on doing the same stuff, yeah, you're good at it. You can do it like it's old hat, but it becomes monotonous, tedious, and sometimes boring. Whereas when you have a new challenge and you are presented with a new character or a new tweak, mentally that, that really makes you better. You know, um, it, it challenges you. And uh, that, to me, is what it's all about. So uh, that that was yeah that that was a very big 
very big night for me, and uh, it led to some very good things. Yeah, it led to, it was like you said, it's the evolution of Kane and that it added a couple different dimensions. I mean, it was very dark right out of the gate. And then it, the, the beauty of the Kane character is the fact that for all the darkness, there's also the light. And it can be very, very entertaining uh, to, to be watching a Kane segment or a Kane match. And once again, it's another thing where we could just keep going all night um, talking about different things, but with the interest of time. Um, how about just the evolution in general? Do you feel going forward that now we're seeing you in a completely different light, no mask after having it on again, but now in, in again, a main event storyline, no mask, uh, showing a different side of Glenn Kane Jacobs and the fact that you get to now be the corporate Kane. What are your thoughts on the corporate Kane and, and how the character has evolved? <laughs> A lot of people hate it, and uh, that's what we're going for, frankly. You know, as far as uh, yeah, as far as it's not supposed to be a likable character, uh, you know. And I know there's a lot of people. Hey, we want the old Kane back. Well, uh, hopefully you'll get it. You'll get that at some point. But uh, you know, that's the anticipation and the making people want something. That's a lot of what we do. Um, uh, you know, uh, again, yeah, that, that, that different side. And, uh, in this case, you said, uh, before about how you had the dark stuff about Kane. Well, I actually think that the corporate Kane character is the darkest of characters because now you have a guy with some political power who is uh, really mean and evil. But in any case, uh, I know a lot of people <laughs> don't see it like that, but that's, that's sort of how I see it. Um, as far as the evolution of, of the character, uh, and you pointed out the, uh, the entertainment value, you know, one of the most uh, most enjoyable eras, I guess, uh, was with Daniel Bryan with Team Hell No for me because that was uh, where I was able to show that I can do something radically different than what I've done before. You know, I, I don't think in, in 19 or 2000, I guess, or 1999, if you'd been asking people who would be the comedic element of the show and be Kane, I think the people would have told you that you were nuts. But uh, because of Daniel Bryan, uh, I was able to do that. So um, that, was actually, that was actually some of the most fun that I've had uh, was the Team Hell No stuff. Um, you know, the corporate Kane character, it's, it's different. Uh, and it, it's back to being, you know, an evil, maniacal character in a much different way. Um, but I, I'm happy and proud of myself that I've been able to do a lot of the things that I've been able to do, uh, you know, and that I've been versatile enough to be able to pull it off. And, of course, it's not all just me uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I've always had good people to work with, uh, and I've had the platform WWE in which to do it. But, you know, when you have the opportunity to work like Daniel Bryan, people like The Undertaker, and all the other uh, great talents that I've had the opportunity to work with, uh, I would actually have to be pretty horrible not to have had some amount of success anyway. Now, you mentioned Daniel Bryan. Obviously, he's one of the best wrestlers going today. When you guys first started out, everyone was thinking, you know, is, is this going to work? And you guys had just tremendous chemistry together. Can you talk a little bit about Daniel and about, um, you know, just about how you guys have managed to have just great chemistry? 
Well, as you said, it, it's because I think both of us are, are very good performers uh, in different ways. And, uh, you know, people knew when Daniel Bryan came to WWE that he was a great wrestler. They didn't know that he was a great entertainer, and he is. He's a very, very shrewd guy. Uh, he understands our business. He understands our industry. And he understands entertainment, you know. And uh, if even now you, you listen to his promos and stuff, and you realize that he knows what he's doing out there. So there's no doubt in my mind that he's one of the top talents in WWE. Uh, he's phenomenally popular, and uh, he's a hard worker, and he's great in and out of the ring. Um, I thought that the deal was going to work. I was I was a fan of it from day one because maybe this is uh, somewhat self-centered, but because I knew it showed a different side of me, which I was – really wanted to do. But I also thought there was just so much entertainment in it because you have these contrasting characters. I mean, it's the odd couple or Abbott and Costello. And for the most part, I just played the straight guy and, and Daniel did the funny stuff. But what's funny with me is my reactions to it. Um, but I, again, uh, you know, I, I just can't speak highly enough of what a great performer Daniel Bryan is. Yeah, you guys are, are great together. And Daniel, I guess he's not really young, but you could say he's kind of like uh, the next crop of guys. And you've been in the WWE for nearly 20 years, and you got a lot of bright, up-and-coming guys. Can you talk about working with the new crop of guys that are coming up? Sure. There are some really great talents. Uh, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, Bray Wyatt, Cesaro. All those guys are uh, really great. I, I actually don't consider Daniel one of them because he's more established now uh, than they are. But yeah, I think our company is going to be in good hands moving forward. Um, there's guys that uh, are hard workers. Uh, they're great talents. Um, they really act as if they belong. I mean, they have that confidence, which is something that you need. That's one of the intangibles that I sort of look for. You know, um, that that idea that, that they do belong here. It's not just, oh, hey, I'm happy to be here, and it's great. I'm going to listen to what everybody tells me and do whatever whatever anyone says. They assert themselves, and uh, that's what you need to do. So I think the uh, the future of the company is, is in good hands. And speaking of which, um, I think NXT and the Performance Center, I think, are really great, phenomenal uh, programs that Triple H and WWE put together. I'm a big fan of the NXT television program. Uh, a lot of the guys they have down there, again, are uh, really, really talented guys. Um, I also, I find that their program is, uh, it's very entertaining. And I think that's a tribute to uh, the writers and, of course, the talent down there. Uh, but, yeah, I really, really do feel that, that that's uh, a great, a great facility and a great program that they've been able to establish there. And with the new crop of talent, uh, just to mention very quickly, uh, some people who have been there for a while, and that is your love-hate, on-again, off-again, feud, friendship, continuing relationship with the big show. It's personally been one of my favorite storylines and angles and groupings over the last 10, 12 years, how is it working with the big show? And, and now you guys are back on the same side right now, for now, but how is it working alongside the big show all these years later? 
Well, I think Paul White is a guy who's very underrated because as big as he is, uh, he's an incredible athlete. And I, I think because he is such a good athlete and he's such a good performer that people don't realize how big he is. You know, he's sort of stuck in a catch-22. In my opinion, he's the greatest giant ever. I mean, especially at this point in his career, no one is able to do the stuff that he's able to do. And his his uh, ability on the microphone is tremendous. He has great promos. So uh, I really do, I think, in many respects, uh, the guy is really underrated. Um, and we, we have good chemistry and uh, because, again, you know, both good performers, I think. And uh, – that adds a lot to it. And, of course, now we've known each other for so long. I mean, backstage, he and I are like we're like an old married couple. You know, we just fuss and gripe at each other, uh, but we get it done around the ring. So I've always, always had a good time uh, working with and against Big Show. And, uh, again, I, I just think he's one of the greatest performers ever. Now, WrestleMania 31 is right around the corner, and there's a guy named Sting who uh, the icon, the vigilante, will be wrestling Triple H. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but you actually wrestled Sting uh, early on in your career. I believe it was 1993 as Bruiser Mestino. Can you talk a little bit about working with Sting? <laughs> uh, it didn't turn out too well for me. <laughs> but, but, of course, uh, yeah, that was that was actually, gosh, that was one of my first matches, and I was really, really, really inexperienced. Um but I think everyone's going to tell you the same thing. You know, Sting is uh, one of the greatest superstars of all time, uh, you know, by far. Uh, he was the face of WCW. Uh, I was a, always a big fan of his. Uh, the guy's super athletic. Uh, and then, of course, you know, later became darker. But he was always very popular no matter what he did. Um, so no doubt that Triple H is going to have his hands full at WrestleMania uh, against Sting. What do you feel as if your legacy is going to be when the, the book ends on Kane and you, your career winds down? What is Kane's ultimate legacy? And for that matter, what's Glenn Jacobs' ultimate legacy in the wrestling business? I hope I'm an example for the younger guys of someone who tried to do the best that he could with the tools that he was given. Uh, my philosophy is that you always do that. You know, I go out every night, and whether there's 3,000 people there or 30,000 people or 3 million watching at home, I try to give the same performance, and that's the best performance that I possibly can on that particular night. Uh, I'm a big believer in our fans pay good money to see us, and they should receive their money's worth. Um, I also very much appreciate the fact that uh, people appreciate what I do. You know, uh, one, one of the things I really enjoy is when someone just comes up and recognizes me in an airport or something and says that they just want to shake my hand because of the years of entertainment that I've given them, that really means a lot to me especially at this point because I don't know how many more years I have left of doing that. So uh, I would like to be remembered as an example of how you carry yourself in the ring and also outside of the ring. And hopefully I've done that throughout my career. And at WrestleMania 31, 
Glenn will be a part of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, and we're about a week away from WrestleMania. And could you just, if you can, and if you can, it's okay, but how is the atmosphere leading into Mania, the days leading in, and we're, like we said, we're around the corner, but what is the feeling backstage a mere few days away from WrestleMania? Well, there's always a lot of anticipation, a lot of build-up. Uh, see what's going to happen at WrestleMania, and to see what happens after WrestleMania. You know, the, the Raw after WrestleMania is one of the most important Raws of the year. So, uh, what's really cool as a fan of WWE is I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. And I know that everybody's going to uh, going to put on their best performance they possibly can. So, uh, we're just like everybody else, actually. Uh, we're just looking forward to the event, and uh, there's a lot of excitement. And everybody backstage not only wants to make their performance the best that they can, of course, but also we're looking forward to seeing what everybody else does. <coughs> and WrestleMania is next week, next Sunday. But when this airs, it'll be just a mere few days away. And uh, you can get that on the WWE Network. Glenn, thank you so much so very much for coming on tonight. This has been absolutely fantastic, and I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, and I hope everybody enjoys WrestleMania. And, uh, you know, don't forget about the WWE Network because there's some really great stuff on there. My my favorite thing about the WWE Network is the archives and going back and watching the stuff from when I was much younger and uh, when I was growing up see, you know, like uh, world-class championship wrestling and seeing the Freebirds versus Devon Eriks. And um, the other night, you know, I was uh, watching old WCW, NWA stuff. And that's really the cool stuff for me is getting able to, to relive all that. And I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, exactly what he said, is it becomes this generational thing. I mean, you know, kids not watching WWE right now, you know, but like their parents, especially their dads, are going to be pulling up the stuff that they watched when they were a kid and sharing it with their uh, with their children. And I think that's I think that's really cool. So uh, don't forget about the WWE Network. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. I hope everybody enjoys WrestleMania. <laughs>